Thank you, Pastor Mark. Uh, I want you to know, Pastor Mark, that this morning, the first thing that I did as I entered the building, I gave my tithe. <laughs> and so I hope you all uh, remember that because, again, uh, we have to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. But here's a question that I, I want to ask is that if people are looking for forgiveness, as they walk into the church, are they in the right place? If people are, want to experience love, fellowship, genuine, sincere love that we're talking about, not the word that what the world is talking about, the, but the love that is unconditional. It's not something like, hey, I scratch your back and you can scratch mine. Unconditional. Are they looking for that kind of love and forgiveness and acceptance? Are they in the right place when they walk into this beautiful church? as Pastor Mark made a reference to. When people are looking for hope, when they enter this beautiful building, are they in the right place? Do they sense a sense of belonging? Or when they walk in, do they experience divisions and cliques? Or critical judgment? If they want that kind of place, that kind of judgment or critical spirit or, or division, then they're in the wrong place. Amen? Amen? Because division and critical judgment do not belong in our church because only Jesus Christ belongs in our church. Amen? Amen. And if you are ex looking for that kind of love, that kind of community, that kind of fellowship, that kind of acceptance and forgiveness, then you're in the right place. Amen? And I believe I'm in the right place. Are you in the right place? Yeah. We're in the right place because Jesus is the head and we are his body and we function according to what he tells us what to do. When he tells you to lift up your left leg, you lift up your left leg. Amen? Come on now, you can do better than that. Because we're all about obedience of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not disobedience or rebellious, rebellious people. We're obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why we come together like this for his beautiful church. Now, that's not my sermon. <laughs> but two weeks ago, we started a brand new series called Be the Church. And the reason why I started this series is because too many people are, have this consumer mentality as they are looking for a church. What can the church do for me? Isn't that right? How can the church serve my family? How can the church meet my needs? How can the church provide for me? And there's all this about what can the church do for me? But does that, does that what the Bible teach? When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus teaches, does that what Jesus teach about what the church is all about? No, he does not. And we have this consumer mentality that as we, are church as we are shopping, that again, a lot of people have this mentality of, of that kind of mentality when they come to church. What can the church do for me? And the question that we ought to ask is, what does God envision our church to be? Rather than what do I vision the church ought to be? Again, you heard me say this before, surveys are great. And asking questions, what are you looking for? How do you, how, what kind of church do you envision? Or if we're starting off from scratch, let's design a church. Let's build a church the way that we want it. I believe that's arrogance, isn't it? 
But the question again is, you hear me say it over and over again, what does Christ envision our church ought to look like? Because we are his bride. We are the church that Jesus shed his blood. We are the church that Jesus died and was crucified. We are the church that, re- that he resurrected. And he said to Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will what? Will not overcome it. Are you with me? So to be the church, we talked about last week, we kicked it off in saying that we need to believe first. Believe in who? Believe in what? And that is simply Jesus Christ and no other. And second, today we want to talk about a sense of belonging. Belong. As as body of believers, do we sense that we belong to this church? Or do we feel like we're an outcast? Or visitor do we have a sense of belonging and Jesus clearly wants you to be a sense of us have a sense of belonging to his church and that is what he created and that is what Jesus envisioned and he says Peter on your confession that I am Christ I will build my church church on that confession and that's what we're going to talk about today are you with me Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless this message and to bring honor and glory to Him. Father, we thank You and we praise You. We love You. We thank You for the gift of music. We thank You for the theme of grace that You have reminded us that it is grace and grace alone. And again, as we were reminded from last week when Paul asked Christ, when Paul asked God to remove the thorn of his flesh. God, you said, my grace is sufficient. And Father, we believe that your grace is sufficient in our lives. We don't need anything else. It is grace and grace alone. So Father, we thank you for reminding us this morning. And Father, I pray that you would bless this message may bring honor and glory to you and I pray that you would open up the ears and open up the hearts of my brothers and sisters that are here as well as watching online may your words be spoken father now may the words of my mouth be pleasing to your sight and the meditation of my heart may be honoring to you in the holy name of Christ we pray amen for safety reasons, mountain climbers, when they're climbing mountains, they have ropes. And why do they have ropes? Is that if there's five people that are planning to climb the mountains, they tie the ropes around their waist and so that all five people will be connected by the ropes. And the reason why they are t- connected and tied w- with one another is because as they're climbing up the mountain, just in case one slips and falls, that that one person is held together by four other people that is connected to him or her. So when she she loses a, a, a fall, a, a falls down and will not slip off the mountain, but is hanging on because the four other person that with them is holding them and is connected. You see. And I thought about that and I said, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be great if the Church of Christ, the Bride of Christ, act the same way? That we are all connected together. Now, obviously, we're more than five people. 
maybe about 95, about 100. That's what we've been averaging these days. All these, all about 9,500. If we are connected together, so just in case one of you falls, that you will not fall and fall away, but you was able to stand up because you have 95 people holding you up together. And I thought for a moment, wouldn't that be great? Amen? Now, physically, we cannot tie each other around our waist with a rope. That doesn't make sense. It's impractical. But what we are connected and we are tied together is what? Through the Holy Spirit. Amen? So the person next to you, though that it may be difficult, have some feet, you know, some distance, social distance, whatever. But you have the Holy Spirit that is connected. Connecting you with one another. Though that I'm far away from what? This distance from Pastor Mark. He and I are always connected by the Spirit. He and I are always connected because we have one mind, one heart. Because we have one Lord, one Father, one Holy Spirit. So we are connected. And that does not stop with just Pastor Mark and I, but it is the whole church, amen? amen? You and I are connected through the Holy Spirit. So when I fall, you will help me pick up, because there will be times when I will fall, right? Just because of the, I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm not going to fall. I will fall. And that's when you need to come and pick me up. And you will fall. And that's when I will come and pick you up, because we are connected. Amen? Hallelujah! We all rope together by the Holy Spirit. We are all connected. We all belong together as one. And that's what Paul is going to remind us through this amazing text. We must understand Jesus created the church for anyone who feels alone. You feel alone, you come to UBC. You feel hurt, you come to UBC. You feel down in life, you come to UBC. You feel empty, you come to UBC. You want to experience love? You come to UBC. Amen? Why? Because we're a dynamic UBC church. Amen? We're not a boring church because we don't have a boring God. We have an exciting God. We have a joyous God. So we are a dynamic, glorious bride of Christ. So anyone who enters that through the front of UBC is going to experience that kind of love, that kind of power. Amen? A community where all can experience the love of Christ through one another. It's all about one another. So the question naturally arises is, how we, as you may see, can be a dynamic church where all of us feel that we belong? That's the question that we're going to answer this morning. So, so today we're going to look at what it means to belong in a living, dynamic community of God with one another. Let me just summarize the entire message by this. We cannot be a healthy, vibrant church unless we live in a community with one another. So it's not a good idea. I'm not proposing that this is, a, this is a good idea. No, it's not a good idea. However, it's a mandate in Scripture 
That's what Jesus teaches, and that's what the New Testament writers teaches, as well as the Old Testament writers. That's what the Word of God teaches. It's a mandate. It's what church ought to be. It's what church is. Therefore, I want to submit to you three mandates that you ought to think about as a church and that we need to apply and implement in our church. The first mandate is this. If you could turn your slide, is belong to one another. Belong to one another. We'll cover verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, Paul begins, he says, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the fa same function. Now, Paul is using this imagery of the human body to bring out both there is diversity, but in the midst of diversity, there is unity. And he's saying that just as a body is diverse in every way, the hands and the eyes and nose, is, but it functions as one, there is great unity in the body of Christ, just as your body has a function and purpose. Um, this, this reminds me, I'm a Star Trek fan guy. And I watched Star Trek growing up and from different uh, captains, right? One of my ca uh, favorite captains is Captain Luke John Picard. You know? Do you know him? You know, and, and, and uh, he, you know, I just liked his stature and just confidence. And at the same time, he had humility. When he was wrong, he admitted that he was wrong. But that's, just in case, just to give you a heads up, he's the same person that uh, is uh, in the X-Men. You know, the wheelchair, well, I forgot his name, in that, that character. Yeah. And so, uh, thank you for that. And so, so, but going back now, let me take you back to Star Trek. But one of the, one of the uh, aliens, as they picture out, that they could not defeat was who? The Borg. And why was Borg so powerful? Because they united. And they served for the one purpose. And that was to seek and destroy. And then if, and then if you learn their behavior, what did they do? They assimilated. They learned their behavior and they adapted. And they were united. Their mind was united. So that's why they were powerful. And what would they say? To go against their it is what? Futile. It's useless. You try to take us down, it's useless. Why? Because we're united. We are community. We are strong. And so again, having said that, having that mindset, if Borg, again, they have that kind of mindset, and they know the principle, they know that it is, that united, you're strong, and separated, you, you cannot do anything. They have that principle, they have that mindset, and that's why they said to go against us is futile. As a church, how wonderful it would be that we have that kind of mindset. And that's what Paul is teaching us through this text. Though that you are different shapes, and you have different functions. You are one. People are naturally drawn to each other that are similar in gifts, personalities, and background. That's how the world thinks, right? I've been, I've, I've been in churches where there are small groups. And you know how they would separate, sm uh, design small groups? They say, oh, doctors meet in one small group. Lawyers meeting one small group. 
business owners, you belong to one or other small group. And you see what I'm saying? That's, I don't think that will, that will make God happy, would it? That's what, how the world thinks. People get along because you think alike or you have the same sports team and you gather because of that. Similar gifts, personality, that's how people get along. And the church of Rome was no different. When Paul saw the church of Rome, that's what was happening. People were gathering in their homes because they had similar backgrounds. People were gathering homes because they had similar gifts. People were gathering home because of similar interests. So Paul said, no, that's not what the body of Christ ought to look like. And that's why he addressed the issue here. So Paul encourages diversity by using the example of the human anatomy or human body. Each body parts are different, but it all works together as unison. You see? Each person makes up the membership of the church, just as we took the membership class last two weeks. My family came into our uh, wonderful UBC. Though that I'm a pastor, yeah, I'm a pastor, but it doesn't mean that I'm automatically in. I have to take the membership class. Right? So because, again, I have to know the history of UBC. And so, again, we, we, we had a wonderful time in taking the membership class. Because, again, we want to become not just the pastor, but the member of the church. Are you with me? See? Membership is important. That's what Bible teaches us. Just like the human body. We are forever organically linked together. Whether you like it or not, you and I are forever organically linked together. All right? That's how we are. That's what the body of Christ means. So notice in verse 5, Paul says this. So in Christ, we though many, many form one body. We are uniquely designed. We have been made to function in a community with one another. We see. Being in Christ's body maximizes our uniqueness if we allow it. What do I mean by this? When the Holy Spirit of God is free to work in the church, there is diversity in the church. And Paul says this, and each member belongs to all others. Each of us belongs to one another. You belong to me, I belong to you. We're not separated. That's how it's designed. So this is how it works. I don't have that many spiritual gifts. I may have just maybe one or two, okay? But I will do my part to fully exercise and put it to practice or implement my spiritual gift that God has given me. Now, there are plenty of, more than my spiritual gifts, I have a lot of weaknesses in my life. Plenty of weaknesses. And that's, here's how it works. I practice and I implement my spiritual gift, but there is a lot of my weaknesses in my life. And because there's a lot of my weaknesses, I depend on you for my weaknesses in your strength that you can complement and that we can work together. Amen? That's how it works. That's how we give glory to God. So I am not independent from you, as I talked about a while back, but I am dependent to you. 
We are no longer independent, but we are dependent on one another. You see, I've had many marriages in the past. Oh, I presided. I didn't say not. I didn't marry many times. Right? I presided. I officiated a lot of marriages. I can't even count. But in that mar- in in that uh, towards the end of the service, I would always remind the bride and the groom. I said, "You are no longer two, but you become one." That's what the word of God said. As you enter into UBC, as you come into our wonderful church, you are no longer independent. You are dependent with UBC. Amen? And we become one. We are no longer a hundred. We are one. And as God will bless us, we will reach 200, we will reach 300, we will reach 400, we will reach 500. If God is our God, we have no limit. But no matter how big we become, we be our one under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? Amen. God is saying to you, you are no longer two. You are no longer independent, but you are dependent and you become one. And that's what God is teaching us this morning. Amen? Amen? We cannot, cannot look at ourselves as independent of others. We must see ourselves as fully functioning members of the body of Christ. Using the spiritual gifts that God has given us to complement each other. But here's the problem. We have different gifts. Amen? And a lot of churches criticize others because they have different gifts. Are you with me? They criticize and said, hey, your gift is not like mine. Your gift is little. Your gift is less my gift is much more important. And they start pointing fingers. But they have to realize, again, the church has to realize God has given us different gifts. Just because one is, has a gift doesn't mean that one gift is greater or better. No, all gifts are the same. And God bestowed it upon each and every one of us as his, as his bride, as his body of Christ. Amen? So we will not have any of that in UBC. Amen? Criticizing or judging other people with other gifts. No. Just as my gift is different from yours and yours from mine, we have to come together and unite and complement those differences all for the glory of God. Amen? Expert says this. 85% of the success of people in workplace is directly related to their interpersonal relationship. Do you hear that? It's not about skills, but it's about interpersonal relationships. You see? Bad attitude hinder good relationships. Do you hear that? We're not going to have bad attitude in UBC. Amen? Some of the most gifted people in the world struggle with getting along with others. I don't care how gifted you are. If you are, if you are rude and inconsiderate and arrogant, there is no room for you in UBC. Amen? It's not about your gift. It's about your humility. It's about sincerity and it's about genuineness and it's about love. I don't care how great you got, your gifts are. Nor does Jesus Christ care about those gifts. He cares about humility. Amen? Yeah. 
We care about what Jesus Christ cares about. We must make up our mind that we are Christ's church by embracing and welcoming our differences that we work and belong to each other. Each of us belongs to, to and needs others. The church is no place for long rangers. If your life is, seems stuck, the reason why your life seems stuck, and if your spiritual life seems stuck, and you're not growing your faith, the reason why you feel that way is because people are not part of a dynamic growing church like UBC. God did not design for us to be in an island by ourselves. God designed it so that we can come together. Brothers and sisters who are watching online, so come and join us. We're meant to join, to be together. Did you know that you belong to the person that is next to you? The person that is sitting in front of you or behind you or next to you? Please repeat, repeat after me. And I want you to look to the person that is next to you or behind you or wherever if you, if you don't have anyone. And tell them, I said, I belong to you. Amen? Amen. We need each other because we belong to each other. Second mandate that the Bible gives us is love one another. Amen? Amen. And we're going to cover that from verses 10 through 13. In verses 6 and 8, Paul explains how different types of spiritual gifts. And in verse 9, he talks about love must be sincere. And he moves on to verse 10, and this is where we will pick up. He says, be devoted to one another in what? And love. Be devoted to one another in love. The Greek word for devoted is phileos targos. If we break it down is this. Phileos, as you know, is lover, a friend. And storge means natural or family love. So what Paul is teaching us as the bride of Christ, he's saying this, that we are a family that we ought to deeply be committed to one another in love. And he's reminding us that we are a family because we have the same Father or in our heaven. So that is why I call you my brother, and that is why I call you my sister, and that's why you can call me my brother. Amen? Because we have the same Father. And we're going to be in the same kingdom. And my house is going to look just as good as your house. Amen? You're not going to be envious of my house. And I'm not going to be envious of your house. Because we're going to have glorious houses in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? We have the same father. So you're my brother. And you're my sister. So the question is this, how can we love the family and the relationship with one another? He puts it in verse 10, he says what? Honor one another above yourselves. Straightforward. Again, the question is this, 
how you love one another is to love one another. How do we put that in practice? The Greek word for honor is this, kime, which means give value and respect one another. That's what it means to honor one another. So when you walk in, you should feel that you're valued. When you walk in, you should feel that you're respected and not disrespected. Amen? There is no room for disrespect in our church. Amen? Amen. If you want that, you're in the wrong church, brothers. Right? Amen? Are you with me? That's a biblical mandate. It's not a good idea. It's a mandate that is given from the Word of God. Thus says the Word. Amen? Amen. Thus, says the, thus, thus says the Lord. And I know that we are biblical-following church. This is what Christ wants for our church because love improves family commitment and family joy all the time. And that's why Paul says in the, the famous chapter, the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They call it the love chapter, right? And he says it doesn't matter if you sacrifice your body in the flames. If there's love, if there's no love, it doesn't matter. It's useless. It doesn't matter if you're all wealthy and you sell your possession. And you give it to the poor, and you give it to the needy, but you have no love, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to God is love. And it is that same love that compelled to send his one and only son to the cross. It is that same love that compelled Jesus Christ to be ridiculed, humiliated, and finally crucified on the cross. That's love. And that's, that's why it is a mandate for us. To love one another. And love builds strong family. We hear about church splits. Imagine. Some of you. Who have children. When the brother or sister. Or sister, sister. Or brother, brother. When they fight as a parent. It breaks your heart. Because they're not getting along. And they, when they argue. And they fight for toys or whatever it may be. It breaks your heart. Because you see your children fighting. Multiply that to infinity and beyond. How God the Father will feel when there is church splits. When Jesus Christ said, I die for that church. But with, and, and I pay for it with my blood and then my, my, and my life. And, and if he sees the church fighting and bickering and splitting. How, what would Jesus think or feel? Naturally, he will feel heartbroken. That's the church that I die for. And you're breaking up the church that I die for because of, can I use this word? Stupid, foolish reasons. And most of the church splits, if not all, are because of stupid, foolish reasons. And it is pride. And it is pride. You know? And that's what Jesus Christ is saying here through Paul. Love. If there is, imagine if there is true love. Imagine if, if churches follow the biblical mandate of what Paul is teaching here in Romans here. Imagine how the church will be. There will be no church splits. And people can imagine, this is what UBC looks like. Amen. And that's what we would become. 
If Paul was here right now, he would say this. All you have in your life is your brother and sister in your life. Don't mistreat one another. That's your brother. That's your sister. And Paul says, this should encourage you to express the love of God because that's your brother, that's your sister through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 11, Paul says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Man, I am so blessed with the ushers of UBC. Amen. I am so blessed with the deacons of UBC. Amen. I am so blessed for all the teachers that are leading the Sunday school. Amen. I am blessed with the worship team that leads us every Sunday. Amen. I am blessed by the AV team that is behind there to making the monitors come. I can see the monitor and you can see that. Amen. And I am blessed for like Brother Mose. I'm sorry to call him out, but he keeps our, the house of God in order. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mose and Keaton. And forgive me, I can go on and on, but there's people in behind the scene that makes our church beautiful, that makes our church a dynamic community. And I thank Pastor Mark and all the, all the, every other staff. I'm sorry if I can't call you up, but I don't have time, but you all know what I'm talking about. I praise God for all of us. And that's what we're doing. We are serving the God with zeal, never lacking in zeal, with fervency, serving the Lord. Amen? The Greek word for pervert is zeal, meaning boil, be hot, be hot, you know? It's not talking about be hot. It's when I was growing up, when I saw a young lady, my friends and I said, man, she's hot. Do you still use that term? I don't know if you use that term. But we're not talking about that kind of hot. We're talking about this, this similar to like when you're angry, you feel this boiling anger in your heart, right? And you feel like this, your, your blood is flowing and you're getting your blood pressure is rising and, and it's just, your head is really hot because you're just boiling mad. But that same emotion, that same emotion, that is not to be boiling mad, but the same emotion, boiling hot to serve the Lord in the church. Amen? Brothers and sisters, our love for one another is to be hot, like burning energy. How many of you have experienced this, and we experienced this, that when you have a little child running around endlessly, and you feel like, man, if I could bottle that energy, I could make millions selling that, right? They have so much energy, right? Right? That's the kind of energy that God is talking about. And that's why I think Jesus says, have a heart like a child. Right? Full of energy, running around. But we run around and serve the Lord. D.L. Moody was known to be serving, running around, serving the Lord. And that's why we have a great history and landmark in downtown, the Moody Bible Institute and Moody Church. Paul says in verse 12, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Do you have hope? 
then you ought to be full of joyful. If, as you have hope, then why are so many people that I see, not at UBC, but people down the street who are professing to be Christ, follow of Christ, they are downcast. And I would ask them, do you have hope? And they say, yes. Then I said, be joyful. That's not my words. That's Paul's words as the Holy Spirit leads him to write. Do you have, are you facing hardships? Be patient. God will provide. But above all, my brothers and sisters, be faithful in your prayers. Amen. Amen. You know, I feel the power and I feel the energy. And the reason why I feel the power and the energy is because you all are praying for me. Amen. That's why I feel the Holy Spirit. That's why I feel the Holy Power. And that's why I can preach like this. Because of your prayers. Because without your prayers, no matter how much I prepare, and Pastor Mark knows how much I prepare, if there is no prayer behind it, there is no power. It's ineffective. It just sounds good like in a worldly teaching. But I'm not teaching worldly stuff. I'm teaching the Word of God. Amen? And you all are praying, and I feel it, and I experience it right now. So thank you, my brothers and my sisters. Continue to be faithful in prayer. Continue. Paul also says in verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Our care for brothers and sisters who are in need should reach down deep into our wallets or our purses. Okay? When there's a need, it ought to cost us something. If it doesn't cost a sacrifice for you for not going to Starbucks for a week, then it does not cost you anything. If there is no sacrifice. Yeah, I could afford 200 bucks, but it doesn't affect you. Some of you, it doesn't affect you if you give 200 bucks. That's not a sacrifice because it doesn't affect you. Maybe a thousand may affect you. All right? But I'm not, okay, now I'm not okay, getting that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. All right? Now, this is what I'm saying. Paul says it is a privilege. Hear me now. Paul says it is a privilege rather than a sacrifice because the word share is out of our great Christian word, kononia, which means common sharing or fellowship. You see, when Christ's church is living in love, the needs of people are met through the sharing and caring. You see, I don't want to depend on the government. I want to depend on the church. Amen? When you see a brother in Christ in the church, you don't say, go to the government and ask them for assistance. No, when you see someone, brother and sister, have that needs of a church, then you say, go, let's try to do as a church, help out a brother or sister who are in need. Amen? If they need groceries, we help out. If they need a clothes, we help out. If they need a shelter, we help out. That's what a church is ought to be. That's what the biblical mandate is. And that's what Paul is saying. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And you heard me say this. Why do you work? So that you can share with people that are in need. Not to buy a brand new car. Well, if you could buy it, then it's fine. I better stop here. I'm going to get in trouble. All right. But you all know with me, you feel me? Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. 
James says what? If you see someone who needs a coat, says, hey, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for your coat. I'll be praying for your food. I'll be praying for your wealth. Uh, God bless. And what does James say? He criticizes that person. He says, no, no, no. You saw a need, and you give him your coat. You see? My old church, one of the uh, ministries that I did uh, Sunday evening was uh, mentor ex-convicts. And we would mentor them. There would be about, you know, about 20 in there. And then we would worship and teach the word. And we would then mentor and disciple, men, uh, mentor and disciple these, ex, uh, uh, these young, men, young men who just came out of prison. And some of them, one of them actually did not have a coat. And it was cold. I saw that. I looked at my, one of my church members. I said, brother, he doesn't have a coat. And I knew this brother could afford to buy another coat like that. So I looked at him. I said, hey, brother, this brother doesn't have, this brother doesn't have a coat. I didn't even have to ask him. He saw that. He saw the need. He says, Pastor Nick, I'll give him my coat. It, it was a nice coat. It was not a, it was not a, some of the things now, hear me now. Some of the people that are thinking that they're being charitable, they give their used stuff, the junk stuff. I told this to Pastor Mark. Some of the people that said, oh, I don't need this, maybe the church needs it. If you don't need it, why would the church need it? <laughs> if it's brand new, give it to the church. Remember? We don't want all you stuff, but that's the problem with people. And I'm not saying with UBC, okay? All right? But I've seen that the case. And people are thinking they're charitable because they're giving away this 15-year-old shoes. Right? 15-year-old coat that could be in the garbage can. And they're thinking they're being charitable and being not generous. But let me go back to the story of this uh, brother. He had a very nice coat. He saw the brother in need. He gave him, he said, here, take the coat. I could just buy a new one. I could just call my wife and my, buy, my wife will buy me a new one. You see how that works? Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Show you another story about my old church. Pardon me for saying about, but this is just an example. One day, one of a, a church member gives me a call and says, Pastor Nick, I have a dilemma. And this person that called me is affluent. He's, he's a prof- you know, and so he does well. And so this one church member asked him, he says, you know what? I, I, I lost my job. I haven't been working for about a month, and I need to pay my rent. And so as I, if I find, when I find my job, I will pay back the rent. So can you rent, lend me the uh, $1,500 so that I can pay rent? And so this church member called me and said, Pastor Nick, I'm in a dilemma. Should I lend him $1,500 so that he can pay for his rent? And I, I talked to him, brother, what, is the, what do you sense that the Lord is telling you? He said, I'm not sure. I'll tell you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Word of God says. 
And the Word of God says, don't lend this person $1,500. I know you could afford $1,500. So give him $1,500. Because if you lend it to him, and if he doesn't pay back, then you're going to have what? Tension and conflict. But you said, okay, he needs $1,500. I could afford it, so I will give it to him. And that way, it's a done deal. You feel blessed. God is, will be blessed. And God will be honored. And he will be blessed. And he says, Pastor Nick, that's what the word of God says. And I believe that's what God is telling me. So I will give him $1,500. And I will say, don't worry about it. Don't pay me back. You see how that works? That's what the biblical mandate is. Because that's how it's conflict. Wait a minute. You didn't give me back the coat that I lent you. You didn't give me the money that I lent you. That's when you get broken relationships. But if he just said, I'm going to give you. And that's what Paul means here. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And practice hospitality. Can you imagine if UBC is like that? Can you imagine that we become a church like that? That Jesus Christ was be saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's my bride. And he'll be going to the angels. You see UBC? You see UBC? You and you know how we take, now we, don't take photo, now we don't take our wallets. In the old days, we would take our wallets and say, hey, this is my son, this is my daughter, right? We have phones now. <laughs> All right. And I will show off my dog, Max, and say, this is my dog, Max. And I will show off, this is my wife, this is my daughter. I will show it off. And you've been there, right? So Jesus Christ, again, he invented the phone. So he doesn't need a phone. He could just like, boom, and it flips up like this. And then he'll show a screen of UBC and say, this is my children. You see how they're living. They're following the mandate of share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Third, is live in, third mandate is live in harmony with one another. In verse 14, Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you because and do not curse. This is a radical teaching. And this teaching is not Paul's, but this teaching came from Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon that Jesus ever gave. Jesus teaches us, do not criticize your enemies. But what? Be praying for your enemies. About 20, uh, 15 years ago, I decided there was this one person that wronged my family, and naturally he became my enemy. But the Lord convicted me and said, he's not your enemy. I want you to forgive him, but I want you to take a step further, and I want you to pray for him. To this day, I pray for this person almost every day. And I'm on my knees, and I lift up his name, and I say, Father, I lift him up to you. I bless him. And as I pray for that person, my heart changes. My attitude changes towards that person. And that's what Jesus Christ is teaching us. Do you have an enemy? Start praying for that person. Do you have a heart, a heart that you cannot forgive that person that wronged you? Start praying for that person. And God would do an amazing work through your heart. And he would change your heart to be like Christ-like. Remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross. And he was being crucified. 
And people were spitting and ridiculing him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Wow. And Jesus said that, and that's what Jesus is teaching us. Pray for your enemies. And Paul challenges us further in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And Paul is saying that we must identify people that are crying and who are people that are mourning. We must identify with them. And if they are joyous, then we identify with them being joyful. When a brother or sister is crying, then we ought to identify. Now, this fits perfectly to what Paul is saying in his thought in verse 16. Here it is. It says, live in harmony with one another. The literal Greek word says this, or the Greek translation. Think the same thing to one another. Think the same thing. Paul is advocating there here that we are to strive to build on environment and environment and atmosphere of unity. And you would hear me say it over and over again. Unity. Unity, unity. He's actually saying, hey, look, don't be a maverick. Don't be polarizing agent. Don't be so contrary. Don't be that person that so many opinions about what you did wrong. Don't be that kind of a person. Don't be the type of person that when they see you, they will run away from you because of your soul negativity and the critical spirit. Don't be that person. Do you know anyone like that? That wants to win every argument that they're in? And they can't separate their ego from the needs of the group because they, all they care about is themselves and not the group. What Paul is saying is this. Look, the church is bigger than you. Others are more valuable than you. you con your, contribution, your contribution to the group should not be a negative spirit, but of a spirit of unity. We ought to be a blessing, not to be a negative person. Paul says live in harmony. So the question is this. How do we live in harmony with one another? Paul says this is in verse 16. He says, do not be proud. Little, translate, little translation from the Greek is this. Thinking too highly of ourselves. Paul is saying, don't think too highly of yourself. He says, stop doing that. The biggest barrier to unity is pride. Do you hear me? We must stop our overly exalting ex opinion of ourselves and humble ourselves and exhibit unity. So in verse 16, Paul gives an antidote to such pride. What is that antidote? But willing, but willing to consider, excuse me, but willing to associate with people of low position. He says, be willing to associate with people who are outcasts, the poor, the needy, different from us, and devote ourselves to humble attitude. Don't just befriend someone because they could do something for you. Have you met someone like that? I met some people that befriend me because they thought I could do something for them, 
And as they, they squeeze all out of me, they said, who are you? They eliminated my phone number too. That's what the world teaches us, or that's how the world functions. They befriend you because you could do something for them. But on the contrary, the biblical Bible teaches us, don't befriend someone because they could do something for you. However, associate with people that are low positions. And that's what Jesus did all the time. And Paul finishes by saying this, do not be considerate. Conceited. Literally, Paul is saying this. Do not be headstrong. In other words, do not be so stubborn. In closing, can we be the church that God intended for us to be? A church that everyone knows without a shadow of doubt that we are loved by Christ and one another. That all of us sense that we feel and sense a belonging. Do you feel and sense a belonging to UBC? Amen? Amen? Just as you feel and sense a belonging to UBC, as people come in, they would feel that sense of belonging. There'll be no shadow of doubt that this is a place that I want to be. This is the place that I want to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reminding us what a church ought to look like. What you envision our church to be. And Father, thank you for blessing us that you are guiding us and directing us in the right path. That all of us here at UBC want to bring honor and glory to you that we want to humble ourselves. We don't want to be people that are full of pride or conceited. We don't want to be people that are stubborn. We don't want to be people that have negative views or critical spirit. But we want to be humble, loving, gentle, accepting people that we all belong together with one another. So, Father, thank you for blessing our church. And help us to become more, more like Christ, Christ. That we will represent him well as his bride. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, let's sing.